This Meeting on the Go podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. Tonight's leader is Marilyn. Hi, everyone. Okay. Um, my name is Marilyn. I'm a food addict. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Hi. Very grateful to be here. I just moved to the San Francisco area last October. Um, I lived in Pennsylvania for six years before moving here, but I grew up in the Boston area, and that's where my roots are in OA. Um, I came in, I was 21 years old. Um, I was, and I'm 54 now, so you can do the math. Um, but I, I was as sick as one can be with this disease at that point. I had just lost 50 pounds eating and, um, eating and vomiting. That was really the best I could come up with after having eaten boxes of, of X-Lax and you know, all Atkins, Stillman's, I'm dating myself, Metrical, you know, <laughs> Melba, you know. Um, and I mean, I, I, every day was a diet or off the diet and the, the last supper. I've had so many last suppers, I should be an apostle. <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, that's really the way that it was for me. Um, I've lost 120 pounds since my highest weight. Um, I've lost 100 pounds a few times. Um, but it did an immediate U-turn um, because I didn't have a program. And I never, never, um, I, I went to Tops for a while, take off pounds sensibly, and I always say I never took off a sensible pound before this program. It, there was no sensible weight loss for me. It was like extreme dieting, like the hang gliding of dieting. It was always starving for a week and, and then, you know, eating all you know, grapefruit for a week or something. And, and just, it was, there was nothing ever sane. And it usually involved isolation because, you know, when you're eating an egg diet, you don't want to be around people. <laughs> so, you know, along with diet soda. Um, and so, I mean, it's, I'm telling you, I would isolate. I'd be home as a youngster um, watching Love Boat on Friday nights. All my friends were going out and going to dances and I was home with a trough of soda um, and whatever extreme dieting I was doing because in my mind, watching Julie on the love boat, <laughs> I was going to lose the weight and then I was going to go out there and find the world or find whatever. The problem is is that I, I brought me along and I had no development at that point. I, I believe that what happens is that as soon as an addict, and I am a food addict, um, as soon as an addict picks up a drug, development arrests. Um, and you might chronologically get older and you might be able to do jobs and go to school and do some other things. You know, God gave us brains. But social and emotional development was arrested for me. Um, and I would much rather find comfort in food or some form of substance. And I picked up other substances along the way as well. I picked up cigarettes, picked up alcohol, um, picked up marijuana. I was, you know, in, graduated from high school in 1974, the mind expanding, you know, real mind expanding, right? <laughs> Frying my brain. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, but this is, what does an addict do? My drugs just had to get bigger. Um, I didn't like reality. Reality was not nice. Um, I did have some things going on, and I will um, say that I did have some difficulties um, in my family life. Um, I mean, we all do, but my reaction to them was to go further into, um, you know, into anesthesia. My mother had had a brain aneurysm rupture, so she was disabled at the age of 43. I'm the only girl, so I became 
you know, joined at the hip with my mother, which we were till death do us part, and then my father drowned five years later. So there were things going on. And I can look back and say as a young woman, there was a chaos. There was chaos in my head. There was chaos. My mother it was different. She wasn't the same person that I knew before she had the stroke. And then she never spoke fluently again. She never worked again. She had one arm. And then my father passed away, you know, five years later. So I did have like a lot of things thrust upon me as the only girl. But I can say that my response to them was to drug myself some more. And, and, and that's just the way I got through things. You know, that's why I say I got through things. You know, here, have a cup of coffee to get you up. Here, have, you know, smoke a joint to get you through. Here, have some cigarettes because, I mean, cigarettes are a huge addiction. I, I don't, I'm, I'm so grateful to God that I gave those up. Um, and, and it was God's grace that helped me because I was so addicted to those. I mean, I was up to two packs a day. I was lighting one with the one that I was finishing. And uh, that's because I'm an addict. Um, and I didn't like to think or feel anything. And I didn't really, I didn't understand that knee jerk, have a feeling, pick something up. I didn't understand it or even see that arc until I got sober. Um, started getting sober um, from these various substances. God took away the alcohol first, the cigarettes next. Um, I also did a lot of uh, diet pills. Uh, man, oh man, can you get things done on diet pills. <laughs> I was chewing the inside of my mouth like a cud. I mean, it was bad. Um, and and I thought that was great, right? Right? You know, it's great when you lose 80 pounds in two months and your hair is falling out and you have chest pain and you're 17. That's perfect. In my mind, that was perfect um, because I would have done anything to get thin to the point of risking my health. Um, and, and again, it made sense to me um, where I was at the time. And I can say that there was no because of all the chaos that was going on in my house with my mother being ill, she was in the hospital for a year, and my father, um, there was, I didn't kind of, I didn't have some of the oversight. Now, had I been a responsible young woman, and or not an addict, um, I probably, I would have grown and developed in other ways during that time, but instead I got further into my anesthesia. Um, and I was always on a, I was a relief-seeking missile. I had a friend in program early, early and, and he was an old AA guy, and, and, and he was old. I was like, I was 21, and he was like 40 old, right? So, um, but he said, he said, Marilyn, I'm a relief-seeking missile. And, uh, and, and I remember that resonating with me. And the other thing that he taught me um, was he said, uh, don't expect anyone... Don't expect your family to understand what you need to do with this program. He said, ask them to accept it, but don't expect anyone really to understand but another addict. Um, because actually when, uh, I'll just back up a little bit, just, uh, I, so that's where I was. That was the state of affairs when I got back into TOPS for the last time, and at the very last meeting um, I ever went to with TOPS, I had lost 11 pounds that week. Um, I was the big loser that week because I had eaten boxes of X-Lax. Um, I had starved myself the two days prior to the weigh-in. I had taken off as many clothes as you can in a church basement to get on the scale um, and still be proper, including post earrings, to get on that scale. 
um, at the CHOPS meeting and I lost 11 pounds and everyone at the meeting clapped for me and I burst out crying. And so what happened was there was a, a person who was leading um, at the time and she said, um, she came up to me after and she said, what's wrong? And I said, you have no idea what I did to lose this weight. Mm. Um, and at that point too, I had started eating and vomiting. Um, that was my new diet plan. Um, I, would, I was a night eater, so I would get up in the middle of the night and eat. So I would just, I don't even know. This is, you know, to the extent of my world history, that the Romans had vomitoriums. And so, you know, that seemed like Velcro to someone like me, just attached into my mind. And I didn't even, bulimia wasn't even out in the mainstream. Like, people know about it today. Back then, I had never really heard about it, but all I know is that I started sticking my fingers down my throat, which tells me that this is a progressive disease. I came up with that. That just came from my inner being um, as a good idea um, and something that might prevent me because at that point now I wanted to lose weight um, but I didn't know how to stop eating and I knew the calorie count of everything known to man I know the fat grams I'm like a food scientist <laughs> I knew everything about food except how to stop eating it um, and so I couldn't stop eating and I wanted to lose weight so Sticking my fingers down my throat made sense. Um, so that's where I was when I came into program. Had just lost 50 pounds, um, and uh, someone and, and this gal at the tops meeting said, "Well, you know, um, I was crying. You know, I was crying at the meeting, and and uh, she said, you know, I went to a meeting in Florida. Um, it was a weight loss group, but but it's really for extreme cases." And I remember that that a little bit of spark of hope came into my into my my mind at that time that maybe there might be some hope because I knew I was an extreme case. I knew at that point I felt like I was possessed. I felt like there was some kind of evil force within me um, because my thinking had become so twisted of suicidal ideation, self hatred. I'm talking like. I'd, I'd think about killing myself pretty much on a daily basis. I'd wake up in the morning and wished I hadn't wake, awakened. Um, and so that's really where I was. And so I knew that I wasn't your average. I didn't even belong in tops. I, I thought if, they, if I ever opened up my mind to some of these women at this place, maybe, maybe now looking back, probably some of them were like me, um, but, but I can remember thinking nobody knows what it's like to be me. Nobody. Um, so that's where I heard about my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and it was at, in the hometown um, at the hospital, you know, where all the things happened in town. It was a Friday night. It was a little red book meeting, which is an AA book of the 12 Steps, which is my favorite book of all the 12-step books. Um, there were two women at the meeting. It was like God in central casting in heaven had put these two women. One woman was bulimic, and she was no longer doing it, and the other woman was a night eater, and she was no longer doing it. And the three of us sat at that meeting, and I sat there and cried, um, but I had hope. Um, that was the first time I had hope, and it was the first time that I ever really told anyone what I was really doing. Um, and they didn't, you know, run away screaming or flip out or 
call somebody because um, I just I just had this feeling like if I ever told anyone what's really going on between my ears, they will call in the white coats and <laughs> I will get put away somewhere um, because and, and it was hard it was hard to live um, with with that dialogue in my head. Um, you know, I'd say some. I, I I would be in a situation, and I'd be telling myself, "You're stupid. You sounded stupid. You shouldn't have said that." You know, they're going to think you're an idiot. And I mean, this is the kind of dialogue that went in. This is the way I treated myself. It was like having an abusive spouse or something. But I was the abuser. I was abusing me. This dialogue that went on. This committee that went on in my head pushing myself around, never right, never can be happy. There was never going to be any peace in my mind. Um, and so when they talk about in the steps about I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable when I eat it, I've come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity and I make a decision to turn my life and will over to the care of God as I understand him. I get that sanity part because I might have been able to function and do some other things but again, if there, if, if, you know, I forget what that movie was where they kept rolling, that this guy's life was a movie. If my life and my innards were a movie, it would have been like a Stephen King thing, number one. And, and number two, somebody would have said, get that girl some help. Get her some help really, really fast. Um, and at the time when I came into program, I had been going to this Catholic Charities was like a free... Um, service for counseling and I had this poor woman I'm going there um, I had I had gone to her because it became really bad in my head and I told her that I wanted to kill myself and this poor woman I would go and schedule appointments with her and cancel them and this poor thing was running around the block looking for me and I look back on that I don't even know her name I'd love to do you know I guess my amend is being here with you tonight um, because I have no idea who she is, but I put her through a ringer, I'm sure. You know, as a practitioner, she probably, you know, felt somewhat responsible for this person. And uh, so, in any event, that was where I was when I came into program. Now, um, at the time that I came into program, um, we really didn't have a, a real tight message um, as, the far, as far as what works and what doesn't work. Um, there was there were some quote unquote food plans out there. Um, one of them for me, and I and I talk about food because it's for me. I just have to say, I can't eat flour. I tried the food plan that you could eat, like not like not white flour, but other kinds of flour. And I'll tell you, I was out at fried shreks, you know, getting <laughs> you know summer foods and all that because I found a way to make you know whole flour into like fried food. That's just me. So, and um, the wave kind of came through program in the area where I was that said, you know what, we're allergic to flour and sugar, and it's probably better just to put the flour and the wheat away, because if you're allergic to it, better not to, to have it. So, um, I can remember with skid marks, um, I, I heard this, and I was with a sponsor at the time, I said, you know, go for it. And I'll tell you, my absence became so much easier. It just became so much easier. It took off the whole, it took off the whole fried food thing, you know. And making food that looks like food I don't eat anymore, you know, making little pies and things like that. Um, because I'm again, you know, I could I could be hanging around manipulating food all day, trying to weigh and measure it and be abstinent. And the problem is, is the food has to be quiet. The food had to get quiet. Um, and and so some of the things, and I'm going to speed it up because I've been in program for 33 years. Um, thank you, God. 
Um, but the, the thing is, is that over the years I learned that the quieter the food is, the easier it is to be abstinent and the more colorful my life can be. Um, because when I, I'll tell you what, herbal teas, I can make a life's work of herbal tea consumption and buying it and I could buy it from different countries and I could buy different colors and different flavors and the, and I say that I'm, I'm not I'm just telling my story because I could spend my days using quote unquote free things compulsively and for me there's no free food there's really no free food um, for me I weigh and measure my food because I like it um, I didn't like it initially um, but I was told that this would be another freedom because I can't live at a continuous buffet. And I, I mean, if you ever walked up to a buffet, um, I love having a scale if I need to be in a situation um, where I, um, you know, there's a lot of food. And I, I'm, I take real responsibility with my food. Um, I do, God does the 99% because God has restored me to sanity to be able to want the right things for my life. But my 1% is my 1%, and I do 100% of my 1%. And it's, it, it, I'm telling you, if you work every tool every day, um, and the only thing I don't do every day is meetings, although I did do 90 meetings in 90 days when I first started, and in fact, because I was young and I was avail um, able to do it, I did, I did meetings for about a year and a half every day. Um, we, we went to AA meetings, and then eventually we started a lot of meetings in our area. Um, and so I, I went to those meetings, and, um, and I, because I can remember my family was concerned, uh, and I heard my brother talking to my mother, and they were kind of whispering outside, and they said, it's brainwashing. I think it's brainwashing. I don't know if you can hear this on tape, but I'm saying he was saying it's brainwashing, and 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 you know something, my brain needed washing. My brain needed washing. Um, it really did. Um, I needed some help. I needed some sane and happy, useful thinking when it was as it related to the food. Um, so, and I got that. Um, the 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 tools. We used to read about the tools. Like my, my first six years in program, just let me tell you, I was on the development team of every way you can do program that doesn't work. Um, for my first six years, I spent doing program every way that will not work. And, and you cannot rob a thief, so nothing gets by me. Um, but what some of the things that we learned, you know, growing up in the Boston area, is that again, keeping the food simple that there are no free foods, that I drink water in between meals. I think it's given me nice skin. It's good for the elimination and, you know, other things that we start caring more about as we get older. Um, and it's, it's healthy. Um, it clears toxins out of your body. I used to drink so much soda um, that I would be bubbling along. And, you know, it's not good for you. I constantly had this, like, heartburn thing going on. And it has a lot of toxins. And then never mind the sweeteners. Sweeteners have nutritive dextrose, O-S-E, that's sugar. You might only have two calories, but it plays with your blood sugar. Your blood sugar elevates, then it plummets, and you want something sweet again. That's what happens. I'm not Miss OA, Miss Purity, wear Birkenstocks, you know, um, I love Birkenstocks, but I don't do, I don't do these things because I want to be Miss Purity and all of that. I do it because I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat, and I don't want to put trigger foods in my body. For me personally, caffeine, huge. 
I am a drug addict with caffeine. I was drinking 20 cups of coffee a day, plus um, Cremora, which is corn syrup. And I just said that one because you talk about flying. Um, and I tried to do decaf and caffeine and program, and I could never, quote unquote, I never tried to weigh and measure it, but I could never have it as a free food because it wasn't free for me. It set up the phenomenon of craving, and I wanted more of it. Um, thank you. And so, so for by God's grace, I, um, I was willing as God. See, in program, what I've learned is I give up to get. I don't give up to punish myself. This program is not a prison sentence. The prison sentence was being out of this program, having this disease, and having no clue what to do. Having no clue what was wrong with me and wanting to kill myself. That's the prison sentence. The program is not the prison sentence. The program is the gift from God. Does it require discipline and uh, effort on my part? Absolutely. But if you want to be a pilot, it does. If you want to be a nurse, it does. If you want to be a doctor, it does. If you want to do any, anything that you want to do requires learning something new and, and a set of practices in order to do it so that you're successful at it, no matter what it is. And it's the same thing with the food. And I never watched a Dr. Phil that much, um, but I do remember watching a couple shows where he had people with weight loss and whatnot. But one of the things that he, he, he said a few times during the show and that I kind of picked up, and, um, but he said he, people would tell their story and he'd say, well, how's that working for you? And, and, you know, and I like that one because, and I would say that to anyone in this room, including myself, if there's something where, some place where you're at and you're not happy where you're at, um, and I know people who have been in program as long as I have and they still haven't caught the wave of abstinence. And I know, partly because I know some of them personally, it's still a rebellion. You know, they're just not willing to give up the, you know, it's like, you can't want to be thin without giving up the food, you know. And so it's, it's tr it sounds crazy, um, but it's not a thyroid problem. You eat more calories than you expend, and you have extra weight. You eat less calories than you expend, and you have less weight. Um, that's where part of the abstinence, not that we do calories, but I'm talking about the realities of eating too much. Um, and you gain weight. And then, well, okay, so if you're not happy... And, but yet you grouse against, I, you know, I can't weigh and measure, I think it's a form of control, and I think it's rigid, and this and that. And it's like, well, how's what you are doing working for you? And so I say that because the how of the program is honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And it is important that we be open-minded. I mean, part of the honesty thing is step one. Am I powerless over food and my life is unmanageable when I eat it? Well, that's for me to answer, and that's for everyone to answer. Nobody can tell you, and I can tell you because I have family members who are killing themselves with their weight. They've eaten themselves to disability, and I can't tell them that they need help. They are just fine in their own minds, but I, can, I, I have to keep my eyes on my own plate because the recidivism rate with, with weight uh, loss is very, very high. Only 2% last statistic I've seen of people keep weight off over five years. For me, thank you, God, it's been 32 years. I'm very, very grateful to God for that. Um, but it's because I work a program. And if I stop doing this, the food is this far away. The mental and spiritual illness and self-hatred and suicidal ideation is this far away. And I'm 
for the tape, I'm reaching my arm out because my hand puts the food in my mouth. My hand puts the food in my mouth. Nobody makes me eat. Nothing can make me eat. There is no situation that can make me eat. I make the decision to do that. And I say that because owning that is the beginning of recovery. It's step one. It's actually an entree into adulthood, accepting responsibility for my own behavior. It's not just that I have a thyroid problem. I always thought I must. I used to pray to be diabetic. Think of how sick that is. Because I thought that would make me lose weight. Um, well, you know what? That wouldn't work either because I know plenty of diabetics in program who are losing limbs. And So, you know, the bottom line is I have this disease and the good news and the gift is that the power of God has restored me to sanity and I work this program because I want to. I didn't always want to, and they say if you don't want to go to meetings, go to meetings till you want to go to meetings. Um, and, and I say the same to you. Keep coming back. Um, until you want to be here. And because this is, a, this is a place where you can get the help that you need. And I say that because my life is a miracle. God has done for me what I cannot do for myself. And I know that I never, ever, ever have to eat again compulsively. Thank you.